Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is Not Church with John and Nat Turney. Uh, good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, this is Nat, and with me as always is my brother, John. Say howdy, John. Howdy, John. <laughs> We're going to drive this thing <laughs> I know, all the way are. to the station, man. <laughs> I'm waiting for some pushback, like, stop it already, just... Just quit it. But, you know, normally John is in California. Um, actually, normally nothing. He's in California. I'm yeah. normally in Texas. I'm actually doing this interview uh, today from Boston. Uh, my wife and I are celebrating our 30th anniversary with a whirlwind tour of New England, and it's been phenomenal. But we've landed back in Boston today and uh, wanted to carve out some time because I really want to talk to our next guest, uh, which is Perry Zond. Um, I'm going to read you a quick, quick bio. Um, and then we're going to jump right into a, what I hope to be a very, very awesome conversation. Uh, so Perry Zond is the co-pastor of Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri, along with her husband, Brian. They have committed their entire adult lives to this calling, and Word of Life will celebrate 40 years this November. She was trained in spiritual direction by Benedictine Sisters and is completing a master's in ministry now through St. Stephen's University, University in New Brunswick, Canada. Her passions are helping others to grow into Christ-likeness, leading small groups, and meeting with individuals for pastoral care and spiritual direction. She's passionate about her kids and grandkids and the Enneagram and about Christian pilgrimage. She and Brian have walked the Camino de Santiago in Spain three times, and Perry authored a memoir about their first experience called Every Scene by Heart. Awesome. Welcome, 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 Perry. We're so glad that you're with us today. Well, it's good to be here. That's great. Yeah, I tell you, I am so excited. I've been excited um, to talk to you for quite some time. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I, he- I hesitate to use the word fan when I talk about Christian ministers. It seems a little weird to say, "Hey, I'm a fan," but I am a fan of of both you and your husband. Um, I'm a fan of what you have done and accomplished at Word of Life. I'm going to give you my quick little background on how I know y'all, um, just because I think it's interesting. Your your bio is great, but I want to add my two cents in. Um, I had the privilege of attending your church once about three years ago, four years ago, uh, when Brian and Brad Jersak and Michael Harden hosted a, uh, a conference called uh, the Crucified God Conference. So that weekend or that three or four days, however, that's all a blur to me, you know, <laughs> what it, but what it was, was a chance to meet some people, talk about this whole thing that we have that we've we've discussed off and on this this concept of the crucified god and how it's critical to our understanding of the faith and so but as a neat little addition on sunday we were able to a group of us who had never had never met before except online and we were like hey Brian Zahn's church is right up the street yeah. let's go to word of life let's go have let's go have church this morning and uh, man i was just blown away it was the Brian was in his um, annual uh, god on finding god in your ipod series um, introduced me to a band called the Whistles and the Bells that morning, um, singing about mercy. And uh, I just, what I loved about what y'all are doing with church and maybe where we'll kick this conversation off today is this. I love the fact that y'all have found a way to integrate um, a contemporary church setting, but and infuse it with a bunch of of traditional I hate the word, traditional sounds wrong, but um, sort of orthodox liturgical elements in there, you know, the the recitation of creeds and the things like that, that if you're a a young evangelical like I have been, that was 
anathema to me. I mean, we didn't even talk about the creeds, and I never even learned what a creed was until I was in my late 30s. And so talk about that, if you would, for a second. We'll kick off talking about uh, the intention behind infusing that kind of history into a contemporary church service. Okay. Well, I will have to say it has been a long journey for us. Yeah. And then, you know, we started out, we started our church, Brian and I did uh, a year into our marriage. Um, We got married knowing this is what we were going to do, knowing we were called to start this church. We were a a Jesus people church. We were radicals for Jesus. You know, we were on (laughs) fire. We're going to save the world. And, you know, it might take a year or two, but (laughs) 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 we were going to get it done. Um, Sometimes I we talk about how we went through this, you know, we're going to be green berets for Jesus, and we wanted everybody else to be that too. We went on a journey. Um, it's hard to, you know, just all the steps along the way, lots of steps along the way. But we had gotten into a place where, uh, I don't want to name any names about who influenced us, but, you know, just some really heavy-duty legalistic stuff. Yeah. But I just finally saw where that was going to take us. And it was going to turn us into mean, spiritually unhealthy, emotionally unhealthy individuals. And yeah. um, I was at a conference uh, in Dallas, Texas in 1986. Uh, I remember that it was January of 1986. I remember that it was the day that the Challenger disaster happened because we were listening to the radio as we were driving to Dallas and we we heard it live. And later that day, um, my whole religion also blew up as I watched a evangelist that I really respected kind of come unglued and just go off on a lot of people in a very angry, ugly way. You know, he was, you know, the mad prophet sort of thing. And I just said, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. This is not Jesus. This is not the Jesus way. And um, I mean, we had driven clear to Dallas, Texas to go to a conference that was going to be three days long. And the second meeting, I refused to return to any of the meetings because I was done. And so um, we moved by the grace of the Holy Spirit, um, into what would eventually become the Word of Faith movement. I mean, Brian really had a word from God um, in a a prayer experience where he felt God speak to him, preach faith and your church will grow. Well, I believe that that was a true word from God, and I believe that God speaks often to us throughout our lives like that if we'll listen. Sometimes, though, we hear the words and the interpretation is very slow to come. Mm, yeah. so how he interpreted preach faith then and how he interprets it now um, is probably not the same thing. I mean, it was the word of the Lord, but he, his ears to hear you know, had, to, had to continue yeah. to be developed. And so we moved into what was becoming the word of faith movement. And we spent um, many years there. And I will say that the Word of Faith movement was really good for me in some respects because it taught me that God is good and God wants good things for me. And I will say that in my early years, uh, that, that message was kind of lacking. Yeah, I for sure. just didn't have that reality. God is good and God wants good things for his people. But you know, 
every as humans we're we're trying to find you know the narrow way we're trying to stay on the journey with Jesus but we rock it back and forth from one ditch to the other yeah yes we do um we hear god speak to us we have course correction but we overcorrect mm, and yeah. so i would say that the word of faith movement was good for us until it wasn't and we yeah. just reached the end, and our church grew tremendously. I mean, that word from God, preach faith in your church will grow, really <laughs> came to pass because we went from a struggling little congregation that never could hardly break 50 people in a service, I mean, seven years into our church plant, uh, and sometimes it was much less than that. We had some... Yeah. Uh, some of our Friday night services, which were single-digit services, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's rough. But we had a we had a vision for more. But we went from from 1986 when we moved away from that ugly legalistic religion to 96. We moved into the building that we're in now, and we, yeah. we grew from under 50 people to a congregation of. I mean, in in the thousands. Uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. So so heading to a thousand by the time we were in um, in 1996, ten years, ten years. But we had a seven year history before that. So seven years of tiny, and then um, over the next ten years, tremendous growth. And after we moved into the building, tremendous growth after that. And so you could say, in many ways, that that we had made it that we had reached, you know, the, the thing that we'd been working and working and working for. I mean, we had a successful church. We were filling our big sanctuary twice every Sunday and once on Friday night. And it was wonderful, except there was an emptiness at the same time, this growing emptiness. Mm. Is this all there is? Is yeah. this all there is? And so... You can read, I, I hope you've read Brian's book, Water to Wine, that have, about yeah. the um, transformations that we started going through in, in 2004. It, it was as if, you know, things were brewing internally in us. And then 2004 hit and it kind of all went public and it kind of all blew up. And this beautiful yeah. church, yeah. this beautiful thing that we had, you know, with the Holy Spirit created, just began to, to fall apart. And it seems like the worst of times, but it was also the best of times, to quote Charles Dickens, best of times and the worst of times. Because at, at, while, while things were falling apart in our church, it was as if we were being born again. We were being renewed. We were seeing things about Jesus and the kingdom of God that we had never imagined. And so that that feeling of is that is this all there is it was like no there's so much more there's yeah. so much more so we were being thrilled and devastated at the same time yeah i get that no i do um just a quick question i just want to interrupt for one second because what you said there is one of the reasons that i wanted to have you here i watched or I read in retrospect, I read about what, how that all kind of went down at your church. And what I've told people a billion times, if I've told them once, is the thing that I respect about the Zons in particular is they, they laid it on the line. Like, like there was a lot at stake. You know, there was every reason to stay the course. 
Um, there was every reason to keep going. If you had, I, I actually know a guy here uh, in Texas who, when I mentioned Brian's name the first time, he's like, oh man, yeah, I used to really like that guy. <laughs> you know, And it was yeah. like, he'd become aware of y'all in your word of faith days. And so he actually told me a story about having actually hiked a mountain with Brian at one point. And I'm like, and I know this guy, I'm thinking, man, Brian's not a guy I think you would enjoy right now. You know, so I was a little surprised. I didn't know the history, you know, um, he should, because he's just gotten better. Like wine um, has just gotten better with age. But, um, but I, what, I, what I have respected the most about you guys is exactly that, that with so much to lose and so much at stake, at least in one, you know, in one respect, uh, you still, you still made the course correction. You still said, no, this isn't enough. This isn't, you know, this, this picture of success isn't what we are put on earth to do. Um, we're supposed to be walking the Jesus way and it doesn't look like this. It looks different. Yeah. Because Jesus is very real to us. Yeah. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And it just, it didn't feel like Jesus anymore. And you can't keep doing I mean, we, we threw our heart passionately into this church, into this work. It wasn't a job. And so we had to continue to follow our hearts. Of course. And that's following Jesus. As, as you were, um, as, as you guys were into the word of faith movement and you were talking about how, you know, hearing the word of God and sometimes we kind of course correct too far one way or the other. Do you feel like the, like the word of faith movement kind of did that too? Um, that, See, Nat and I, um, we, we are children of the Jesus movement, right? Of the late seventies of the, you know, the kind of the hippie movement into the Jesus movement. And it was, it was refreshing as a young person. It was super refreshing to see this openness and this willingness to follow Jesus and the love of music and how music tied everyone to Jesus and this community. But at some point there was this course correction because it seemed like, okay, we're, we're being a little too loose and free here. We need to we need to put some rules in place. We need to put some stuff into into order to kind of keep you guys in line. Um, and do you feel like the Word of Faith movement kind of, in a weird way, did the same thing? Yeah. So so these movements are you know if we say they're a movement of the Holy Spirit, they begin in purity. Yeah. But then they get a little polluted. And when the water is just too dirty, you do have to throw it out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And John and I have been a part of a, a number of these. I'm sure you guys have too. Uh, I was I was knee deep in the Word of Faith movement uh, about the same time y'all were. And then, then you know, for me, the next, the next shift was grace. And so the grace movement comes and tacks the other direction. And like you say, you know, it starts out in this, in this place of, of, of pure intentions. Mm-hmm. Like we've got to get away from this legalistic stuff. And now we've got to get away from the toxicity of what the word of faith movement would eventually become when it goes to its extremes, right? It becomes the name it and claim it prosperity gospel thing where if you're not driving a Mercedes, Jesus doesn't like you anymore. Um, and so we see that has tacked way too far that direction. And then for a time there, the grace movement was that, was that reprieve of like, okay, let's just get back to the real gospel. Let's just get back to the fact that we're not saved by works, that we're saved by grace. Let's get back to this, you know, back away from the legalistic stuff. Because even even in even in the freedom of the word of faith movement, didn't you notice that at some point it became very legalistic itself? It became legalistic in its own within its own little structure. Right, right. right. And the little phrases that, you know, by law you had to say 
Right. Exactly. How are you? What is it? I'm um, blessed and highly favored. Blessed and highly favored. Of the <laughs> yeah. I mean, and if you do anything else, you've broken the uh, the rules, and you're not a yeah. person of faith. And so, yeah. You know, oh, wow. that that drove me crazy. Bad on you. Yeah, yeah, it drove, it drove me so crazy because there was people. There, there was people. My, my grammar's fantastic, by the way. There was people in my church You're from Texas, who would, It's okay. Yeah, so, so that's true. So there, there were these people, and and there was it was borderline delusional their inability or their unwillingness to accept some realities. Exactly, like they couldn't say it out loud. Mm-hmm. Like, don't you, don't you? How, how would they say that? Don't confess that. Yeah. Right. How are yeah. you doing today? Man, I'm really having a rotten day. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Hey, hey, don't confess that. Yeah. I'm not confessing it. I'm just telling you I'm having a rotten day. Yeah. You know, or God help you, somebody died or had an addiction or something else was horrible. You just almost couldn't talk about it because that was always this negative confession. Yeah. And and then the the, the end fruit of that is when people get diagnosed with uh, terminal illnesses, you've got cancer. Yeah. And you turn to your you turn on your doctor and you rebuke him for yeah. you know saying something like that. <laughs> for giving you a diagnosis. Yes. Don't you don't you pull that on me, doctor? Yes. yes. <laughs> but I've seen it all. And I mean I'm sure you have too. Yeah, no, I have. I've seen it um to its really, really ugly extremes. You know, yes. we can joke about it now a little bit because some of it is just on its face. It is silly. But the real life consequences were that there were times when friends of mine did not seek treatment. Yes. And so, because so these, God was going to heal them. These faith people are motivated by fear. Right. It's all fear. It's just fear all dressed up with a fancy bow and we call it faith. And it is yeah. so far away from faith. It is. And so I understand then, I think I, I think I understand the almost sort of pinball, ping pong, like tack, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you said, it's a course correction. Um, but it does tend to, every movement tends to go that way. And like you said, yeah. it works until it doesn't work anymore. And then we have to course correct again. And sometimes there's, uh, we were talking to uh, Jeff Turner a couple of days ago. I'm not sure if you know of him, but he's fantastic. And um, we were talking about um, the book that he had written um, prior to Brian's book, um, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to, well, cause, so Jeff wrote a book a few years before that called Saints in the Arms of a Happy God, okay. which uh, I'm trying to start an internet beef between Brian and Jeff, just because I think it would be funny. <laughs> I'm just teasing. There's none. Jeff loves Brian. And if Brian was aware of Jeff, he'd love him too. He's fantastic. But we talked about that word. I said, why did you choose that title? And he was really just trying to go completely opposite from Jonathan Edwards, Sinners yes. in the Hands of an Angry God. So yes. I just took every opposite word of that. You're not a sinner. You're a saint. But he and I have both gone through, this has been a decade now, and Jeff and I have both sort of traveled a similar trajectory where we're back, we're back to being comfortable with saying, okay, um, my eternal identity is not one of sinner. My eternal identity is absolutely um, child of God. Um, but my existential daily reality is I'm a sinner who needs a savior. Yeah, you know, okay. I struggle. That's that's still my milieu. I still struggle with this thing of sin, and to constantly walk around claiming something as an existential um, reality that isn't, you know, it creates this rift inside of you and this this constant almost fracturing when you can't when you just can't admit that you have a problem with something, um, whether it be anger or I don't know, make your make your list right. Um, I, I just thought it was an interesting 
anyway, just it ties back to what you're saying, where these movements start out in purity. They start out with good, good, good intentions. And the second they get embroiled in their own, and I think you're right about this. I'm not sure if you meant to say this or not, but it sounds like as soon as they start to develop their own jargon, they start to develop their own vocabulary. You can almost start to say, okay, this one's starting to run its course. (laughs) You know, like, like, like if you can't, if you, if you have to have the right response when someone says, how was your day? The writing might be on the wall that that thing has, it's time to course correct again. But so after that, um, Again, I, I keep coming back to the fact that I, that you guys made that you guys made that massive move, and it just strikes me as very very courageous. Um, I'm sure that y'all felt that that was just what you had to do, but I don't know that a lot of people would have done it. It's what we had to do. Yeah, but I think there's quite a few people, myself maybe even included, who would have been like, "What? Why would I change anything? This is great. This is working." But um, what was that like? I remember reading briefly, and that that it was kind of like when you made the announcement. That, that things were going to shift at Word of Life, that, that for the most part, everyone was very supportive until they weren't. Yeah. So how, how did that play out? You know, I mean, not, not to dig too, too deep, but that had to have been difficult. You know, um, in early 2004, we did have an exodus. Um, you know, key people leaving, some staff people leaving, hindsight, you look back and you just see that it was the mercy of God in that those people really did have to leave, but it hurt so badly at the time. But had they not, it would have been difficult for us to really become who were we who we were being called to be. So the 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 pain, the emotional pain of that was just just awful. Um, I mean, I can't really say how awful it was. Just trust, as awful as you think it is, it was worse. But I, at the same time, I, um, where we had to continue to be the leaders, we couldn't fall apart and, um, you know, let everybody know how, how difficult things were for us. So there was, um, a pretty significant, significant degree of pasting a smile on my face every time I went to the church and pretending that everything was okay. And I wish that I had had more help at the time. It was very, very, very lonely. I wish I'd had some, a, a spiritual director. I wish I'd had a wise counselor who could help me through it. Being in Enneagram 7, finding it almost impossible to acknowledge emotional pain or any kind of pain didn't help. Didn't. So I would say we we had an exodus, but you know nothing that was going to destroy the church. I mean, the church continued to be strong, and then you know there were just different things along the way. I won't say. So what I'm trying to say is, it didn't all happen one day. It wasn't a church split and half the church left. It was a very slow drain, a very slow leak that people continued to leave through 2004, 2005, just a little bit, 2008, 2009, 2010. And it was, dear God, you know, we are bleeding. We are eventually going to die and and really wondering if we could hold it together, if we could pull it off. You've been in our building and that's a nice building. 
and it's not paid for. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when you build a building with a budget, you know, of X amount of dollars, and then that, you know, the people go away, you, know, you are stuck trying to find a way. So there was a lot of fear that we really wouldn't even be able to, um, to hold it together. And that it just, it lasted so long. It was, you know, close to 10 years of pretty significant, awful pain all the time sadness, heaviness. But we held on to Jesus and we held on to this call. I mean, we were called and I could no more have just walked away and quit. I mean, that in, in some ways it would have been quitting Jesus. This commitment to this church and to the people that God put into our care, you know, those two things kind of were fused together. We love Jesus, and therefore we love his church. One of the things that, you know, bringing liturgy and some sacramental things into our church, we've come to understand that faith needs to be more than, I mean, faith needs to be embodied. Faith can't just live in your head, but your faith needs to be embodied. There's a saying, matter matters. and that's why I continue to go to church. That's why I believe in the church. Um, the church is the physical presence of Jesus in the world. And that's hard for some people to swallow. But walking away from the building, for me, really does mean walking away from the church. Because we live in a, in a world that is physical. It's incarnational. We have an incarnational faith. And so these these practices that we have instituted, weekly communion, liturgy, um, you know, just some of the traditional songs like the doxology that is, you know, the doxology and the Eucharist are the high points of every Sunday morning service. And so going to church on Sunday morning is the place primarily, it's the primary place where we are weekly recalibrated, weekly recentered. We go to church, we worship God with our voices, with our bodies, with our offerings, with our praise. We we do all that to breathe out. We breathe in maybe the um the preaching and the teaching and the truths about the gospel. So Church for me is it's just like you cannot. I I can't continue to be a, call myself a Christian without the church, and the church is the primary place where people are formed in Christ likeness. I mean, it's it's beautiful. I mean, I love how you say all that, and um, I I think there's a calling to people like you guys and and Nat, people who are in church to to an awakening or to a, a resurgence or whatever you want to call it. I don't want to call it a movement because I think that's, that's part of our problem is we have these movements and they're, and they're good for a minute and then they're not. Um, but, and why I consider you guys so important, even though I'm not actively part of a church is, and we thought we talked a little bit about this off, you know, before we started recording, I wouldn't be talking about this if I didn't love what I think the church can be. 
Um, I, I wouldn't be talking, yeah, and I wouldn't be talking about this kind of stuff if I didn't love Jesus. And what I miss is that there are so many churches who have just lost that. Um, you could go to you could go to a church, and and I'm not saying you have to hear the, the name Jesus in every other sentence. That's not what I'm saying. But there is a palpable difference between a church that isn't following the way and a church that is. And you can feel it sometimes the moment you walk into a church. It's the way people approach each other. It's the way that people talk to each other. It's the way you acknowledge people's pain. It's the way you allow for that pain to be part of the process. And um, that's why I applaud you guys because I think that's, I see that in what you guys are doing. You guys are open about your pain. You're open about your struggles. You're open about your journey uh, through your guys' books. Uh, through the way you guys preach, through the people you bring to the church. But how did you, what was the process to um, kind of open up to that kind of new way of thinking and allowing Jesus to be the guide, to allow Jesus and the way to be how you move forward with um, these changes that you guys so drastically did? You know, I'm thinking about the message that Brian preached yesterday on the supremacy of Christ. And um, he talked about um, our various isms that we dedicate ourselves to. But that every time we dedicate ourselves to an ism, whatever that is, we like take a step away from Jesus. And Jesus is always calling us to put him first, put him first, put him first. The supremacy of Christ. That's how we did it, was just by holding on to Jesus. I want to say, though, I am very sympathetic to people who have been so incredibly disappointed by their church experiences. Um, I know the reality that we in America are living through right now. The church world, I mean, I'm baffled by much of what's going on in churches all across all across our country i'm i'm saddened church is the place where the dividing wall has been torn down yeah except it's not <laughs> right <laughs> right yeah except, yeah except it's not you're right yeah. except it's not but, yeah. but you know that is the the telos that is where we should be going and so i mean i'm constantly we are constantly working to just make christianity possible for for our grandchildren their generation generations to come and and right now i mean there needs to be a major reformation of protestant churches i mean churches i'll just say churches there needs to be a major we are we are due we are overdue we are languishing uh church in america is not healthy no i agree uh phyllis tickle talked about that 500 year cycle right i love i love i love phyllis and miss phyllis um her voice was so important um but we're overdue for our 500-year shift. Um, what what people have begun to call um, and have probably for the last few years now uh, deconstruction is exactly what I feel like people like you guys and even my brother John went through before it had a name. And it was simply a willingness to take our faith 
and really examine it. Like, let's, let's actually take this thing apart. Let's actually see the parts that are working, the parts that actually look like Jesus, and let's jettison the stuff that does not look like Jesus. Let's get it out of here. Um, and one of the places where I have been most disappointed and disillusioned and borderline, not borderline, I've been appalled, uh, is this, is this constant wedding of empire and religion where we have just watched over and over and over again certain segments of the church just crawl right into bed with politics and government. And I can't remember who said it, so I'll just steal it, but said the inevitable love child is always violence. You know, oh, when, when those two things get together, that's always the result. Um, and I don't know, it's going to take voices like yours, you know, to help us untangle this mess that we have made where we're so, and I, and I think you're right, I think we're pushing towards a larger um reformation of sorts where the church is going to have to re-examine itself or it's going to become irrelevant. You know, people are going to start to see, I think COVID might be that thing that tips us a little bit and says, you know, church as we've imagined it may have to completely shift and change. Um, how have you guys fared through this whole process of having to do church online and to some degree having to shift the way that you do it? God has been good. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, the church is as healthy as it's ever been. We have, you know, we are having um, services, you know, in person. We've been we've been having services in person since last June. We had twelve weeks of online only, and then we had limited. I mean, we've done a hybrid thing, and so um, months into COVID, as we begin to see huge numbers of people starting to attend our church online. Um, we begin to entertain the idea of having a formal online congregation, that these people really could be a part of our church, even though they didn't live in the area. Um, it went against so much of what we preach and believe in, the uh, incarnational quality of church. And it was like, dear God, I don't believe in this, but I see it happening. And so we have now um, developed an online congregation, a large online congregation that we are continuing to seek ways to pull them in and make them really part of our, um, of our body. Yesterday, for Mother's Day, we dedicated 13 new babies, and one of them was an online um, dedication. Next week, we're going to honor graduates, and we're, I think we're going to do it all online, uh, just even the ones that are local that will have introductions that are all, you know, just done via video. We have regular meetings, chat groups, um, things that we're doing together. We have a, a website. Like I said, I'm not sure that I believe in an online congregation, except that God gave us one. <laughs> <laughs> well, and sometimes you have to work within the framework of what you have, right? Yes. Um, yes. This is what works, and we keep this thing going the way, the best way that we can, right? Yes. Plus, we've had a large number of new attendees in person. So, you know, I think COVID is just kind of shaking us all up. And causing us to re-examine the way we're living our lives and what we're prioritizing. Yeah, I find it's interesting because my my son my son graduated college right before all this stuff happened. Actually, he started a new job. He's an engineer, and then about a month after his new job started, COVID hit. He's never set foot inside his office. Yeah, ever. You know, his wife um, started her job about a month after that, 
Uh, she's also an engineer. They work in two different cities, but they live in Dallas. But she, but they both work from home. She's never set foot inside her office either. And she just told me the other day, she's like, I'm not sure I ever will. Like my company's decided, actually, my, my son told me that th- their company told him about two weeks ago that their their productivity level that was expected to drop. And it actually increased by about 20% with people not having to commute and not having to deal with traffic and not having to do all this other stuff and um, calling in sick. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's, it's going to have this implication where we've seen that we can do life so differently than we had imagined it before. Like we've been stuck in this mold. And um, I, I don't think that the church is immune from that, you know, and I do believe, so we have a fairly large online presence as well. Um, for a little while, we 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 actually stayed. I have an immunocompromised daughter, and so we we held off having in person services for quite a while wow. because I just wasn't gonna. I was not gonna risk her. COVID would have killed her. I like church, but I like her better. I understand. So, I understand. <laughs> so but we held off. But um, at, but we're back. So yeah. At, oh, you are back now. Oh, we are. Yeah, we've been back for several months. Okay. Well. Um, at the same time, as I acknowledge that online church is a thing, had to be a thing during much of COVID, will probably continue to be a thing. I also know that there are things that we give up with, yeah. with online. Um, Brian and I were in Denver, Colorado, um, I guess it was last month, and um did it, Brian did a prayer school for a good friend's church and then preached their Sunday morning service. They're a small congregation. They um, were continuing to do the thing for communion where people come forward, stand in line to receive the communion elements. And I was, I was seated in the very front row. So I was right there next to the line of people that were, you know, going by to, to get their communion elements. And I was able to hear the servers say the words, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. And, and to observe those people, to see with my eyes, the body of Christ coming forward together to receive the body of Christ. I burst into tears during the church service. I was so moved. And I thought, dear God, I have missed that so much. I hadn't realized how much I'd missed it. And so our, our next staff meeting, we had to talk about how we have to find a way to get back to things like that. For sure. Not yet. We're still using the little, the little, the little thing. <laughs> yeah, I know what you the, mean. Yep, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. The, the communion to go. Yeah. Communion to go. And, and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, I was in a, I was involved in a portable church for years. So, and by that, I mean, we set up and tore down every week. We met in a movie theater and uh, that was the only practical way for us to do communion. And I hated every second of it. I'm like, you know, peel back the little foil, get your little plastic wafer and you peel back. Oh man, I hated that. When we, when we planted the church that we're in, I stole some of your, and not yours. I mean, it's, it's historical apostolic church practice, but um, most of the, non-denominational, charismatic kinds of churches that John and I were raised in. Um, communion was something you kind of checked the box off once a month or once a quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then God help you if you missed that Sunday, you might go a month or two or three without actually partaking in the Eucharist. And Lord knows I never heard it called that. Um, that would have been way too Catholic. We couldn't have said that. So um, 
our church, we do communion. We, we celebrate that every week. Yeah. And I just felt like that was necessary. And moving towards that, when we, when we began to move towards weekly communion, discussions were held and, and like, well, won't taking it every week make it less special? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No. I eat food every day and it <laughs> is never less special. <laughs> no, it's never less special. No, you, it becomes more special. It becomes really the, the, the highlight of the service. It, it is 100% the highlight for us. And we do ours in the beginning. I know y'all do yours at the end, I believe. Yes. Um, but we start uh, as soon as worship, well, as soon as music is over, um, we have communion. We do it a little differently because um, our church um, happens around tables. And so we have families gathered around tables and they serve each other communion at the table. We um, do what works for you. Yeah. And it's a, uh, but it is the highlight every time. And what we have found is as we have been able to tie that action into the larger Christian community and say, hey, and I remind people all the time, like, as we're doing this, there are millions of Christians. There are Coptic Christians in the Middle East, and there are Orthodox Christians over here, and there are Catholics, and there are people of every stripe you can imagine. And this is this thing that we all do that binds us. Yes. And says, oh, guess what? We're still, but we still do this. We may disagree on a whole lot of other stuff. In fact, we probably disagree on how to do this, but we don't disagree that we should do this. Amen. And so there's these little tiny places of commonality where I'm like, we've got to grab a hold of every single one of those that we can, because that's one of the things that I think is stifling the American church so much is that we feel like, like we are the church. And I was sort of one of, at some point in my way too late in my life, but when my eyes were open to how big the Christian world is, I was ashamed that I had thought it was so small, you know, as though we had cornered the market on truth in my one little sliver of it over here. And then, oh man, there's all these expressions of it that look nothing like what we do. And it was, I've, I've seen the beauty in it. Um, and I feel like that, that word of life has, has, has had a similar sort of awakening to the fact that, you know, the width and breadth of the Christian experience is, is, is something we need to embrace. Amen. 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 Absolutely. <laughs> I'm with you, brother. Uh, that is a good segue into the Camino. Let's talk about the Camino for a little bit, since I know that you're passionate about that. And um, the more you talk about it, the more I want to go. So talk about what was the, what was the initial motivation to go walk this 500 plus mile, isn't it? Like journey, this, yeah. this, Across uh, across Spain, we saw the uh, the film. Um, oh, gee, what is it? The way uh, you're familiar with that movie? I am, and I'm trying desperately to remember who who was who was in that. Is it the one with? Uh, uh, is it the one with the the Sheens? Uh, yes, like Martin, Martin Sheen, Sheen. And, Sheen and Emilio Estevez. Yes, yes, yeah, okay, okay. yes, okay. And I have seen it. Yes, there is a cool story. You know, their father and son. Right. I, I didn't realize that. And Charlie Sheen is Emilio's brother. I mean, right. full brother. It's just that right. Sheen is a stage name. Their name yeah. really is Estevez. And Emilio right. chose to keep his real name. And Charlie Sheen has a stage name, took his dad's stage name. Right. Okay, so we saw that movie, which was really beautiful. And we just both looked at one another and said, we got to do this. We got to do this. But when we saw it in 2011, I believe, it just seemed impossible. How could we possibly ever leave this church for 
seven whole weeks. Wow. I mean, the first 10 years of our church, Brian and I never missed a Sunday. Wow. (laughs) That means, well, we didn't get to go on vacation because we didn't have any money. I mean, we could barely feed ourselves. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We didn't miss a Sunday for 10 years. And uh, when we finally began to take some vacations, it was only one Sunday, maybe a year. So, I mean, we hardly ever left. And honestly, we were going through that long, slow bleed. And we just thought if we leave for seven weeks, you know, when we, this was 2011, there may be nothing left when we come back. We even had some of our staff people who said, you can't do this. You can't be gone for that long. But we, um, I mean, Brian said 2000, 2011, 2012, he said, okay, um, yeah, 2012 rolled around and he said, okay, we're going to go in 16, four years away. We planned this four years out. He said, I can't stand to be in America for another uh, election. <laughs> Amen. So we were gone for the whole elections. You know, the we were gone from mid September to just a couple of days before the election. We didn't come back to vote. We came back because of our church anniversary, which is always the first um, Sunday in November. Oh, okay. And um, so we planned it four four years away. And by the time it rolled around, I mean, I was just so desperately depressed. And in need of change, it, I had got to the point, dear God, you know what? If there's nothing left when we come back, I'm sorry. Yeah. So be it, right? I'm sorry. You know, we got to do this. We got to do this. And I wrote a little bit about that in my book, although I didn't write all the details about how hard things were with the church. So we went and did it in 2016. And, and honestly, it was the best thing. Brian and I have ever done together in our lives. It literally, I mean, people say it changed my life all the time, but it changed our lives. I think that the healing that God wanted to do in my life, that God was accomplishing in my life through, first of all, learning to pray a new way. Um, You know, Brian teaches his prayer schools all over the country. I'm, he's doing like number 85 today, three-day prayer school. Um, I learned to pray with a liturgy the same way that all the people who came to his prayer school do, does. He, he just shared with the staff, I learned this new way of prayer. It changed me greatly. It brought wonderful healing to my life. Secondly, I started, I learned about the Enneagram, which helped me to find about out about me. There are so many evangelicals who are, you know, like anti-Enneagram and they say, right. you know, oh, we shouldn't want to find out about ourselves. We just need to, to follow Jesus and we need to learn more about <laughs> Jesus. Let's have another Bible study, not talk right. about ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the Enneagram helped me to see why I thought the way I thought helped me understand how I was wired, helped me understand my own motivations and brought tremendous healing to my life. So I've probably learned about the Enneagram, oh, 10 or 12 years ago, but you know, it's a long process. And then the spiritual direction program I went to with the Benedictine sisters was wonderful. So I was beginning to heal through these new understandings and my new prayer practice. I was beginning to heal 
but I wasn't aware of it yet. You know, I was still <laughs> showing a lot of symptoms of extreme emotional illness. The Camino just kind of took all those pieces. I, I say it's like the bow on a package that God handed to me in my new life. My new life that was a life of peace, a life of contentment, uh, a life of much greater, um, you know, just living in the spirit, flowing in the spirit, just goodness. It was, it was as if we went through this long, 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 tearing down, deconstructing, rebuilding. And then with the Camino, it was, a, you know, it is finished. It is finished. We're not deconstructing any longer. Oh, dear God, we're way past deconstructing. We're continuing to grow. We're continuing to build. We're continuing to learn. But it's not that often violent feeling, uh, losing it all, tearing down. So the Camino was wonderful. So we did the first one September and October of 2016, started in Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port-France, walked across the Pyrenees, all across the north of um, Spain to Santiago, took us 40 days. It was wonderful. Why was it wonderful? Well, it's a bit of a mystery. <laughs> it's a bit of a mystery, but there's something about the single-mindedness, having nothing to do each day but get up and walk. Lots of time to talk, but you could only talk so much. So there was lots of time for silence solitude and being out in God's beautiful creation and just letting God fill your heart. I mean, I had many, many, many incredible experiences. And that's why I wrote the book. I wrote the book because um, I knew before we went, I knew that God wanted to do something incredible in my life. And I was desperate. And I knew that in order to get everything I wanted out of the Camino, I would need to come home and spend some real quality time processing my experience. And so I took notes while I was out on the Camino, just wrote down what I was thinking, what I was feeling, what I was seeing, what I was eating, uh, which was <laughs> a fun part of it. And these experiences that I had with God and just, just some notes. And then when I came home, I sat down on my sofa in November and just started writing. And I wrote every day for three months or so, November, December, January, February, March. I kind of took December off, so let's not count that. But three or four <laughs> months that I was just writing, 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 processing, remembering, looking through my pictures. And um, I continued to have deeper understanding into some of the things that God had spoken to me along the way. Um, I, I, I spent time with those things. And, and the Camino gives you time. And then I took the time when we got back because it was important. And it was, I was almost done with my journaling when I realized this is something I want to share. And so I did. Yeah. And it's been a joy to get feedback. I've done 
literally nothing to promote the book. And I just prayed and have continued to pray that the right people would find it and that it would minister to people. And I know that, I mean, I've received messages from strangers who said, you know, this book saved my faith. This book renewed my faith. This book reminded me that it's about walking with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's it's really a good book. Um, if you haven't had a chance to read it, if you're listening, I highly recommend you pick it up. You'll have a hard time putting it down. Perry is a, uh, you're a, uh, you're a gifted writer. Well, I'm just telling my stories. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> but, yeah, but not everyone can do it. Like, it. It is very engaging. And I just, I mean, it, even just like, I took notes as I was reading through it. I'm like, there's just people I want to meet in this book. Yeah. You know, I want to meet, I want to meet Gert, you know, I have him listed down in my notes as the Dane who didn't believe, <laughs> yes, <laughs> but yes, and and who didn't know who Kierkegaard was. So ex- that was a funny tell, story, wasn't it? Tell that story real quick, just and we'll give people a taste of what's in this book. I think it's really awesome. Well, I was I was meeting this man at a, at our our very first night. We were at dinner in this albergue, and uh, he was sitting across the table from us, and he was from uh, Denmark. And I said, oh. Um, said something about um, Soren Kierkegaard. And he said, who? And I'm like, no, <laughs> Kierkegaard. <laughs> you know, and, and he's like, I'm sorry, I've never heard of this guy. And it was just kind of funny, kind of embarrassing, kind of, oh, let's change the subject. I just, you know. Right. So um, much later, I guess he sat over there and pondered. He says, Kierkegaard? You mean Soren Kierkegaard? Like, did I, did I butcher it that bad? Yeah. <laughs> you can who I was talking about. But we got to be friends and uh, we, we talked some the next day and he, had, this was his second Camino. And so I said, oh, tell us about your first Camino and why you're back. And he told this story of how he'd lost his wife. Um, they were probably in their early sixties. Gosh, just, you know, my age. And he'd lost his wife and how devastated he was just absolutely. He says, I, my life was undone. I couldn't leave the house. A year went by and I, all he could do was sit in my chair. I think he was recently retired. And he said, his daughter came and said, dad, you've got to do something. You've got to do something like go walk the Camino de Santiago. And so that's what (laughs) he did. Well, the Camino healed him. And that's all he could say. The Camino healed him. Um, in another conversation, he'd, uh, he'd said, now you asked me if I believed in God. And I said, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I said, there must have been somebody else. But hey, you know, you want to talk about that? Go ahead. Tell me, uh, do you believe in God? And he's like, no, no, I don't believe in God. And this whole big thing about how he didn't believe in God. But... He said, I, I believe in the old gods, you know, like the god of thunder and the god of trees and, you know, that kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, cool, whatever. He said, but then as he went on telling us about the Camino, he just said, but the Camino healed me. The Camino healed me. Well, the Camino is a ancient Christian pilgrim route. It is very, very Christian. And here's this man claiming not to believe in God. Um, he then went on to tell us, he says, Oh, go to all the church services. Don't miss any church services. If you hear there's a church service, go because something's there that just really, you know, touches you. And I can't explain it, but it'll heal you. And so I thought, yeah, and this man doesn't believe in God. (laughs) 
Right. He just doesn't know that he believes in God. He, <laughs> he He's coming to know God, but his head hasn't caught up. Yeah. He's, but, wow, he's yeah. experiencing something in his heart, but his head isn't there. And it's like, that's okay. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah. It, it, as you're talking, I'm, I'm imagining this person who, who doesn't have to believe in God because he's getting to know God. He's getting to know God. Yes. And then we just circumvent the whole belief thing anyway. Yeah. And say, you know what? Maybe this life isn't about learning how to believe in God. Maybe it's learning how to get to know God. Absolutely. To the point where belief isn't even a necessary topic of conversation anymore. We have reduced belief to this um, thing you thing you keep in your head. This yeah, you know, we have facts we ascribe to. Well, anyhow, he told me how the Camino had healed his heart and that he was able to begin to live again. And I just knew that he was on a journey, literally the Camino, but that his <laughs> right. journey was also towards God. And I looked forward to spending time with him because this was our very first day on the Camino. And I thought, we have plenty of time to talk about the things of God. And I never but, saw him again after that. Day. Yeah. <laughs> so you, just, that's the, you have to trust the God's but that's the Camino, right? That's it just kind of gives and it. I just, I just, I love that story. And as I, I, I wanted people to hear that snippet because that's what you'll find in this book as you go along. These these stories of these of these disparate people, right? All these kinds of different folks who come along and and go on this journey for all kinds of different reasons. Um, and there were there were a lot of people, weren't there, on the Camino who had really not any um, traditional faith in God. Um, you're like, well, then, and that's interesting that it still draws them. And I feel like Jesus does that same thing where Jesus draws people, even people who don't have any interest in faith or religion or whatever, but Jesus still um, manages to draw people to him um, outside of all of that other, all of the other trappings of religion. Um, th- that to me is a neat metaphor for what the Camino is, 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 is a way to pull people in um, without, without having, without having to subscribe to some particular faith tradition, if that, I don't know if I'm, I feel like I'm rambling. I'm not sure that makes sense, but it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So it's, it is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful place. I mean, you're walking through Spain. It's wonderful. The first several days you're walking through vineyards, you're walking through the Pyrenees mountains, you're just out in, you know, God's beautiful world and it's beautiful, but there is something sacred about the Camino de Santiago. It is a particular pilgrim path that has been revered uh, since, I mean, for like 11 centuries, 10 or 11 centuries. And, and um, I think about in, I think in the 12th century, there were 2 million people a day, a, a year walking the Camino. Think about those numbers, 2 million people a year walking the Camino. And if you think about all those footsteps, and I often thought about that, this is a path that millions and millions of people have walked before me. And they walked in faith, in hope, in anticipation of meeting God. They brought that um, intentionality with them. And they carved out on that path a thin place 
where the barrier between heaven and earth is very, very thin. There was a magnetic quality to the path itself. You just wanted to be on it. When you woke up in the morning, you were eager to go back on it. You, you were pulled there. Um, something very mystical, something very beautiful. Wow. Well, now see, I started out wanting to go and now I'm making plans. So now, making that's, plans. Uh, <laughs> now I'm trying to figure out when I can carve out seven weeks of my life to go. Um, all right. 2024, John, before oh, the next election, I got to get the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, man. I tell you what, I, I would love to I, I'd keep talking to you forever, Perry. I really appreciate your time. Um, I really thank you for maybe stepping a little bit outside your comfort zone and agreeing to, 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 to meet with us today. Um, it's been a joy. It really, really has. Great. And, uh, great. I, uh, There's something you can I, use. Oh, of course. Oh, it's, yes. it's beautiful. All of it. Um, so if you are listening, if you've made it this far with us, make sure and make, buy a copy of, of Every Scene by Heart by Perry Zahn. I think you'll really, really be um, blessed by it. I, I have been. Um, I'm going to go back and finish it today because I just got, man, I got sucked into it like from, from the first word. It was really, really well done. Um, the stories are great. It'll make you want to go on the Camino, though. So make sure and start your, your travel plans as well. <laughs> Are you? Do you have any kind of um, like social media presence? Are you on Facebook or Instagram or you got any TikTok videos out there? <laughs> <laughs> I am on those platforms, not near as frequently as a lot of people, but I occasionally okay. post things. Mainly of ducks and chickens. Yeah, ducks and chickens. Yes. yes. A lot of that, yeah. I love all of the ducks and chickens, all of them, all the time. Well, like I said, that make sure and buy the book. Um, check it out. Share it with your friends. Um, follow Perry. Follow Brian. Um, see what they're doing. I, they, these are two of the people who I, you know, I'm not blowing smoke when I say that they're people who are rescuing. I think in some ways the Christian faith. You know, and I don't, um, I don't, I don't say that lightly. Uh, Brian has done more for me personally to salvage what's left of a faith for me and make it, make it, you know, make it possible to see things differently. And that's been a, that's been a gift, um, that I, I can't even begin to overestimate, but, um, you guys are, I believe doing amazing work and, uh, we're just really appreciative of both of you. So well, thank, thank you God. for taking the time. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Continue to pray for us. Absolutely. We, we sure will. All right. That's all we got. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for enjoying the show. We appreciate you guys. Thank you, Nat and John. I I feel like I hijacked the conversation, John. I'm so sorry, man. (laughs) I do that from time to time, but you know, I'll I'll, uh, I'll one day learn. Is it? Is it all good? It's all good. (laughs) All right, man. I love you. All right. Peace. Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch, where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.